You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. How's everyone doing? Awesome. Yep. Good to see you. Uh, I want to just say a couple things this morning. Uh, you know, there's not as many people in here this week as there was last week. And I'm thinking that typically we have less numbers on a rainy day because for some reason people don't go outside when it rains. Um, so all that being said, we're, we're, we're actually on a little bit of a growth spurt right now. Um, we've, we have found that we need some things in the church I had a few conversations this week with some folks fairly new to the body congregation here and just wanted to know, hey, how can we support what God is doing at Queen City? So here's a few things. You can give finances. We really appreciate that when you do. It's important. It helps us keep the lights on. It helps us keep doing stuff for God, right? Another way is just showing up. When you guys come, it's just fantastic. Like, I like this room when it's full rather than half-filled. So, you know, it's just a room always just feels better when there's more people in it. Amen? Another way that you can get involved is that you can help us in the different areas that we are needing help because of growth. So we mentioned the parking thing here, but we also have... um, we just we need folks to serve in kids ministry. So if you have a passion, you want to well maybe you, no never mind. You don't need a passion. Maybe you just want to do some work for the church and you would like to serve in the kids ministry. Now's your opportunity. Another thing that we need help in is we need help in our hospitality ministry. And when we use the word hospitality, what we mean is like our greeters, the people that stand at the door and welcome people when they come in and help people find the bathrooms and help people getting their kids checked in. So if you want to get involved in anything like that, you can see one of two McMillans. You can see Brandy McMillan, you can see Chris McMillan in the back, or you can see me afterwards and we'll get you connected in in helping out. Sounds pretty great, right? Sounds pretty great, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, all right, come on. Okay, uh, next thing, I feel like this is really important. It's been a heavy week in the world. I got some stuff this morning that I'm gonna share uh, with you from my own life, my personal life, um, that's kind of heavy, but the world has been in a heavy place. And when I was prepping for my message this week, I just thought, man... Uh, well, the Apostle Paul says that, that the weapons of our warfare, they're not made of earthly things, flesh and blood, but they're mighty for the pulling down of strongholds and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And I'll tell you this, um, war is against, is something that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. You know, in the kingdom of God, there will be no war, Right. When the kingdom of God is breaking, it's going from theory to the concrete. It's, it's a place where there's no war, okay? So Christians, one of our distinct, one of our distinctions, one of the things that we are supposed to do, called to do, we have a, a calling of prayer. We should be walking in a life of prayer. Hey, let me ask you guys this. How many of you guys this week prayed on a continual daily basis Welcome, Holy Spirit. Remember when I said that? Yeah. I got some radical testimonies from people this week. People were bothering me by text this week saying, Andy, just, I would get up in the morning. I would say, welcome, Holy Spirit. And I'm not kidding. 
things were beginning to happen that I, I never expected, you know? So nobody won the lottery or anything like that. But what happened, what was typical among these testimonies is that they grew in their awareness that God was moving in their life. So that simple prayer of welcome Holy Spirit, it is the beginning of our prayer life, right? So we started that at the end of the service last week. And right now what we're going to do is we are going to pray for the nation of Ukraine, okay? So that's really important. This isn't just like a little like stepping stone moment in the service today. This is probably the most important part of this service today. So um, while during worship, I didn't have a plan, but we've got a friend here from, not from... um, Ukraine, but we've got a friend here from Czech Republic, and he has a history or a, his own story of his country being invaded by Russia. Okay, so we, I went over to Robin and I said, "Hey, man, do you think we should have Z come up and pray today over that uh, over the nation of Ukraine?" He goes, "Yeah, we should do it." Well, Z didn't know that, and he came up to talk to Robin about some stuff. I hadn't made up my mind whether I was going to ask Z to pray, but then when he came up, he doesn't usually come up. This was just the thing that the Lord was doing this morning. And then afterwards, he came up to me and said, hey, Andy, we have folks from Ukraine in our church today. All right? That's a big deal. We have actual Ukrainians in here. Z, would you come up here? And Max and your family, can you guys come up here? Let's give these guys a hand. Like, give them some support. So... Uh, we don't, we don't want to do passive prayer this morning. We want to do active prayer this morning. And so why don't we stand first? Z's going to share a little bit. And then, um, I don't know, these folks, uh, y'all aren't going to be able to hide back there. I want to get you guys up here because we're going to, we're, they're going to just stand as representatives for the nation of Ukraine this morning. And, and Z, I'll stop talking. So I was born in 1962. And in 1968, I was visiting my grandmother and grandfather. And I wake up and tank was rolling in. I still remember that. It changed a lot of things. In our family, they broke my mother. I will not go to details. It was just painful. I still am emotional about that. It's 54 years. And so you can guess on which side I am in this conflict. (laughs) And if you grew up in oppression, the darkness really did not want you to have a voice. They won't just shut you up. That thirst for freedom, that thirst for just life. They want you to... (laughs) Just be silent and follow the orders. So I'm very excited that somebody is saying no. No to this darkness. No. No to this manipulation and oppression and fear mongering. That somebody is so brave that actually is doing something. So Father... And I I ask you, because America is a land of freedom, definitely for all of us from Eastern Europe. And so I ask you, please pray with me, if you you can, for Ukraine, because (laughs) 
they actually need it. <laughs> Thank you, Father, for these people. Thank you, Father, that you are their Father. And Jesus, we lift up your name over Ukraine. Thank you that there is no darkness in you. You don't use this manipulation and fear. We proclaim your kingdom over Ukraine. And we ask you for your protection for people of Ukraine. And your peace eventually. On your terms, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, yes, please. Hey, guys. Um, my name is Max. Thank you for praying. And uh, I just want to say, I feel glad to say this. And you were just talking this morning. And by the way, yes, I'm from Ukraine. This is my wife, Alana, and my sister, Lisa. I left eight years ago. been here. been very blessed. My little sister just came. So she's just six months away from having the memories and just seeing her city being destroyed. Um, and we have currently my mother there and my siblings and um, family. But something I'm glad to say right now is Andy was just talking this morning about how you can get involved. And uh, when you come, we have the same question all the time when we come. And I just want to call on you and challenge you. Um, something you can really do is pray. Commit to praying for Ukraine until this conflict is resolved. It goes beyond me or even Ukrainian people. It's uh, far-reaching. Um, currently, the entire Europe gets involved. There's risk of nuclear war, um, Russian people involved. It can get really nasty. And um, I just want to call on you. If you want to make a difference, if you're asking yourself right now, what can I do? Um, prayer is very powerful. There's many stories from simple people to soldiers sharing like miracles. Um, it's really real. Russia is supposed to be like one of the strongest. They struggle to cross our border. Like Ukrainians fight like beasts and they like defend and we get enough support all over the world. And to be part of that, I challenge you, I call on you. If you look for ways to get involved, pray. I don't know what it is, once a day or once a week, but commit to pray until it's done. So um, I want to thank already for many of you who reached out, who've been praying. And I would just want to encourage you and say like they work like crazy. Um, and for those who ask, my family, my brother, my sister, and my little niece, who is not even two years old, they fled. They're currently in the west of Ukraine. My mom's still in the hot spot. She decided to stay due to being older and not feeling well and want to help. Um, she's trying to work at this place where that provides uh, clean water for the city of Irpin. So they're right in the Kiev area. So um, it's bad. There's videos right now from a city of tanks, dead bodies. It's real, um, but I just want to say thank you. Thank you and call on you to pray, commit to praying for Ukraine until it's done. Thank you, guys. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right, y'all can be seated. Well, we have a commission now, don't we? Amen. Well, uh, this is Strange Ways uh, Part 3, and the title of my message today is Hope That Does Not Disappoint. And I really feel, um, well, this, this series has really just been about the peculiarities of following Jesus. Christians are distinct. They are distinct people. They, they believe a certain way. They have uh, things that they do that are distinct and peculiar. 
And I would say that prayer is, is one of the most distinct and peculiar callings that you have as a Christian is to engage in your prayer life on a, on a normal basis. Um, but the, the thing that I wanted to talk about today is this concept of the hope that informs us as believers. And I came about this not because it was like the next thing to talk about in my life uh, or in this sermon series, but here's what happened to me. After church last Sunday, uh, man, it just took forever for people to leave last week. Like people were milling around like after one o'clock and, and around two o'clock, Amy and I and Chris and Brandy were just sitting in the back row, just kind of comparing notes and just talking about the day, having a good time. And, and I got a text message. I got a text message on my phone and a friend of mine, 31 years old, had pa- passed away in the night from her, her battle with cancer. And I, I was instantly just like, you know that feeling that you have when you're, you're punched in the stomach where the, where the wind just goes out of you. And I just kind of like, I crumpled. I, I initially crumpled. And, and you know, I, we, we weren't like close friends. We weren't like family, but I knew this person enough to where it, it took it out of me. I was, I was just, there was grief, right? You've grieved before. You know what that feeling is. And, and so kind of processing through that this week and then just seeing all the news about Ukraine, I, I just began to ask the Lord, Lord, how do people get through all of these tumultuous times. I remember Randall Worley saying from this stage one time, you know, people talk about seasons of transition. Like you could, you have this isolated season of transition. He's like, that's not real. We're always transitioning. We're always going from one thing to the next. The world always seems to be groaning or aching, right? Like there's always tumult somewhere. Sometimes it's out in the world and sometimes it's in your natural, your, your, your life. And sometimes it's in both places. And sometimes the things that we're contending with are far greater than the strength that we have to live through those things, right? And so I was, I, I just began to think again about the hope of Jesus being an eternal hope. And I realized that over the course of my life, I had kind of lost my way with, I don't know how to say it, but setting my eyes on eternity. You know, it was like I had, I had stopped, I had stopped the, um, the revelation had gotten stunted in me that what we're doing on planet earth isn't the only thing that we're doing, right? Because the fact is, is that people do die from cancer. The fact is that there are wars that happen in the earth, right? So how do we go through these things without succumbing to despair, without succumbing to confusion, without without succumbing to hopelessness, all right? So today I want us to remind us, maybe to reemphasize to us 
that one of the distinctions of people who have decided to follow Jesus is that the hope that we have is an eternal hope, all right? It's not a hope that we won't have problems. It's not a hope that we will have every dream in our lives come true. It is the hope that nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God. That is the very core of what we're walking in, hope-wise, amen? It is a hope that we will live with Christ forever, not as disembodied spirits, but as people with resurrected bodies. And every part of our life, every part of our current life is informed by this hope. I, I saw videos all week of Ukrainians. Uh, I, I, saw, I saw these videos of Ukrainian Christians gathering together, singing songs with lyrics, Jesus is King. They were just praising God while, while bombs are dropping. There's this group of people who, who have chosen to stay in the middle of a war zone and they have, they're praising God in the midst of it. It's not that there's not some fear there. Of course, you would be nervous. But there is something that's informing their actions that is greater than the bombs that are dropping from the sky. And I'm watching videos and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm feeling the Lord drawing me back to that hope again. You know, I don't, I don't know. If you're like me, I feel like I've had a lot of start and stops over the last few years. Like I've, I've gone on with Jesus a little bit, but then I've just lost ground somewhere. And I've just gotten sidetracked with, with hopelessness, despair, and confusion. And I realized it's because I stopped my connection to that idea or that concept of our, our hope in Christ being an eternal one. So we're talking about this today because there's an invasion going on in Ukraine. Oh man, I got to just tell you this one thing. I was listening to the BBC report. This BBC reporter is talking to a woman on the ground in Ukraine, and he keeps talking like the, like the Russian invasion of Kiev is inevitable, and she keeps correcting him. She keeps saying, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. We, we've got this. We've got this. And I'm like, man, I'm just stunned by the hope that's in these folks right now. So we're talking about this eternal hope today. Because there's stuff going on in the world. People are in danger. There's all kinds of tumult. And the other reason that I'm talking about this today is because I had news come to me that again made me have to consider the mystery of life. And I again had to go back and find that hope which does not disappoint. I have a friend who... She, she quotes this scripture. It's her, it's her life verse. But for me, it's always been a difficult one. Because I, in some level, have always been, felt like I've been disappointed by hope. But I've been meditating on this verse again this week. Let's read this together. This is, this is Romans 5, 3 through 5. This is the New Living Translation. This is, this is Paul in the book of Romans. We can rejoice too. 
When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, this is interesting because Paul connects troubles that you're going through with an opportunity to not be disappointed. And he's also connecting it. He, he, he's making it sound like it's a conduit that the Holy Spirit works through to pour out his love into our hearts. This is incredible. Nowhere in the scriptures does anybody say when things get tough, that's when the Holy Spirit starts moving. It's always when things get really tough, we know everything's going to be okay because God has given us the Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts and therefore we know that he loves us. Last week, I talked about staying aware of the Holy Spirit in your life. The reason why you need the Holy Spirit in your life is because he tells you how much God loves you. That's what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. That's why when we go, welcome, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life. Come again, Holy Spirit, into this Monday morning. I need you. It's that when we do that, we grow in awareness for what he is moving in, right? Paul spells it out for us here. So as I said before, last Sunday, we're sitting back there and I get this news that my friend has passed away. And I have to tell you this. For two years, she battled this fight with cancer. She was young. She was only in her early 30s. And here's the thing about her. She wanted to live. She wanted to live as you could expect. She loved Jesus. She asked Jesus many times to heal her. She had big dreams. The whole time she's, she's sick. She's like, I got too much to do. I'm dreaming. I'm making plans. I'm making plans for a hundred years. I'm going to, I want to live to a hundred years. Do any of y'all know that old, old gospel song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die? I mean, isn't that the truth, right? Like, like we're supposed to have this thing going on where like, you know, Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm like, I'm going to have to take your word on that. You know what I'm talking about? Like God did not put it inside of us to want to die. God put it inside of us to want to live. And that is a good thing. God put dreams in your heart. He gave, he gave things to you to do. He gave you a hope in a future. There's things that he planted on the inside of you that he's trying to get on the outside of you because it's going to change the world. My friend was a singer songwriter. She wrote songs. They went around the world. She had plans for her life. So when I got the news that she had passed away, it hit me hard. And I began to think about how even when we face this inevitability of death, death is not the main thing that informs us. It is important for us to remember that we are a peculiar people walking in strange ways 
And we are informed by a hope that does not disappoint. That's the thing that's on the inside of us. So what do wars and rumors of wars and cancer diagnoses, what do they naturally produce? What do they produce? When you hear, when you hear something about a war coming, what does it generally generate in people? Fear. Yeah, and rightfully so. I mean, nobody wants to go to the doctor because they're always afraid of bad news, right? I can't handle any more bad news in my life. All these things produce fear. And I feel like for most of my life, I've been very afraid. If not on the outside, at least on the inside. And I have realized that at some point in my life, I failed to root myself in the precious promise of eternal life in Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit is at least doing for me in my life. I am again rooting myself in that precious promise. Jesus said it over and over. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's a lot of things going on in the world. There's gonna th- things are going to happen in the world that are inevitable. But don't be afraid because what? I have overcome the world. He was letting people know this important fact that we actually, it's a precious promise that we have to root ourselves in. You have to take it upon you to read the words of Jesus, ingest them, and let them take root in your heart. But then I began to stumble upon scriptures. I found in Hebrews chapter 2, which says that Christ literally came. This is why Christ came. Why did Jesus come? He came to break the power of the devil so that he could set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. That's incredible. That is a precious promise. Jesus came so that you would not be afraid of dying anymore. That's straight out of the scripture. I got Bible for this, y'all. We can actually live totally unafraid of death. You know, when a person is no longer afraid of dying, they start making different choices. When a person is no longer afraid of dying... They'll put themselves right in the middle of a conflict rather than running away from one. When a person is no longer got the fear of death on the inside of them, they're no longer a slave to the fear of death. They actually can go to places and be salt and light that nobody else is going to. Paul had this working on him. Back to the prison sentence that we talked about two weeks ago. Paul was not afraid of dying. He was not afraid of being in jail. So he goes to jail, put in chains, starts praising God. The earthquake happens. He doesn't escape. He stays because he was a man who had been set free from the fear of death. This is the eternal hope that informs us. This is an incredible reality for us. Christ has given us the gift of saying to us over and over, don't be afraid. You do not have to be afraid anymore. I have overcome the world. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at the gospel of John in, in John chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you can open it up and follow along. 
But I want to tell you a story. There's a really wonderful story. You probably know it well, but it's the story of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus. Now, there are a few ways that you could interpret, there are not more than a few, there are a few lessons that you could learn from this story. Now, I think that you can actually make a case that God wants to physically heal people supernaturally in their lives. I think that God does move supernaturally through prayer, through the laying on of hands, through miracles that actually change people's lives. Hey, anybody in here been healed of cancer supernaturally? Right there, right there. We have folks that have actually had their bodies touched by God and had a change come. Amen? So from, from chapter 11 in the story of, of, of Lazarus coming back from the dead, I believe that you can make a case for God's goodness coming in the form of healing. But I also want to say there's a bigger thing happening in this text. Jesus isn't just interested in healing Lazarus. He is interested in the world knowing that he is who he said he is. Jesus showed up on planet earth and he said, I am the son of God. I and my father are the same. And he got a whole lot of resistance on that. So he went around doing some miracles that were supposed to persuade people that he was who he said that he was, who he was, who he claimed to be. All right. But I want to, I want to give you a little bit of a slanted take on this text this morning. So Jesus, let me just read this here. Starting at the top of 11. A man named Lazarus was sick and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, although Jesus loved Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. I want to tell you this. God loves you. But sometimes he's going to stay somewhere else where you're not. Sometimes God is doing something that we in the middle of the circumstance do not understand. They sent Jesus the message in time for him to get to the place that he needed to be in order to release healing on Lazarus. But Jesus, in his grace and in his goodness, he left those poor people hanging. You know, you have to have something on the inside of you. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to have to be ready for God to move at a different speed than you. Do you know what patience is? Patience is is you moving at the same speed of God. You know, when people say to people, God's speed, that's a terrible prayer. Because what you're really saying to people is, oh, get ready to move really slowly. 
Because God's kingdom is not one that operates out of control or power. It is a slow-moving kingdom, and he is perfectly happy with letting people wait a couple of days before he comes to them. Let's go on. But his disciples object. He said, finally... He said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people there were trying to kill you. Jesus said, well, here's the thing. There's 12 hours of light every day. During the day, people can walk in safety. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. And they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. As for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. This is the God of the universe telling people that it was better for him not to be somewhere. He literally says, I am so glad I wasn't there to rescue those people when they wanted me to rescue them. Jesus is training his disciples for reigning. These people are training for reigning, baby. He is totally messing with them. He's like, I am not always going to show up when you think that I should. There's something going on here that's so much better, so much deeper than you can possibly yet comprehend. I'm just going to go and tell you right now that it is better that I'm not there yet. And then at the end of that, this is, this is I wrote LOL in my notes here. Thomas, nicknamed the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. I mean, come on. Let's go to and die with Jesus. Like he was just ready to give it all. I mean, you know, his story. I mean, he was the one who just doubting Thomas, right? But when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever said that to the Lord? Lord, if you had just showed up, Lord, if you had just been in our church when we needed you, Lord, if you had just protected us in this moment, Lord, if you had just healed us in this moment, then we would trust you way more. God is always challenging our paradigms of his goodness. He's not trying to teach us that he's cruel. He's trying to blow up our existing idea of his goodness to show us that he's so much better than what we thought. Jesus told her, your your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. And Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Oh, this is the precious promise, y'all. This is the precious promise right here that you need to root your life in. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? 
Oh, man. Do you think that was an invitation to that woman to enter into that precious promise right then and there? So the shattering that she had felt after seeing the death of her brother would be healed? I mean, she didn't necessarily know just right then. He, he wasn't going, oh, Martha, the punchline is that I'm about to resurrect your brother. He said, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever dies, they're going to live again. Martha, do you believe that? And that's what the Lord is saying to us today. What are you anchoring your heart in today? What is it that you're building your life on right now? Is it, is it the dream of your life or is it the eternal hope of the resurrection and the life of Christ? These are powerful words, y'all. And yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the son of God. Well, the story goes on. And this is great. Jesus gets mad. He's mad. He's mad at sin. He's mad at death. And he's about ready to drop the hammer. And he says this down in verse 43. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. You know, this is, this is a fascinating dynamic. Right after Lazarus comes out of the grave, it says this. Many people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Guys, I, I, I totally believe this. If miracles were enough for people to believe in Jesus, they would just be happening all the time. But folks see miracles all the time and it is insufficient for many people to put their trust in Jesus. We see it in the text. God can do a miracle but there may be times in your life when he doesn't. And guess what? It's okay too. Your life is seated with Christ in heavenly places, no matter what, no matter if you get the breakthrough or no matter if you don't, you're still marching on that precious promise, no matter what season you are in your life. So the thing is this, Jesus loves you and he will stay where he is currently. And he might ask you to be a little patient. He will wait somewhere else that will cause you not to understand him. You know, I've said this before, but God is not necessarily trying to get you to understand him. Jesus is not trying to get you to understand him. He's trying to get you to believe him. There's a difference. There are going to be things in your life that you do not understand. And that is the point of, of decision. That's the place where you go, okay, I don't understand this, Jesus, but I am going to follow you anyways. Jesus is always trying to get us to believe him, but we are too busy trying to understand him. We can trust the Lord 
And sometimes he will say to us, and for your sakes, I am glad that I wasn't there. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't where you needed me to be at that moment that you thought I needed to be there. Is God saying to this to us because he is cruel? No, everything that God does or doesn't do is because he is trying to reveal his glory to us in a way that is beyond what we can imagine. He's trying to take us from glory to glory. He's trying to take us from one trouble to the next and he's infusing us with his glory. The thing is this, we actually wouldn't be satisfied if God was just somebody who was meeting our every expectation. If God was just that, he would be totally predictable and you wouldn't be mystified by him anymore and you wouldn't be in awe of him. And you could ignore him. You could take him as you need him because he was just a formula up there who was just fulfilling our expectations. And if we know God, he is the king of being unpredictable, right? How many of you have had a predictable life? How many of you have had plans that you thought were God that did not come true? Anybody or is it just me? Yeah, this is kind of like, Normal. I've, I used to always think it was strange that the plans that I had in my 20s hadn't come true by my 40s. I thought that was me. And then I, I started talking to people and it's like, man, this is the most common story that there is in humanity. People have dreams in their youth. And then there is like less than 1% of people who achieve those dreams, right? I mean, there's, I'm sure that's a bigger, bigger percentage, but you know what I mean. We want God on our terms, but in his mercy, he does not acquiesce to our terms, but he calls us to his. If the gospel of Jesus is anything to us, it is a relief. Trusting Christ with your whole life relieves us from the fear of death. It relieves us from the curse of sin, and it sets us free from the gods of our own making. The gospel of Jesus relieves us from having to be our own gods. Amen. I want to close this, this message out today by reading this little piece from my friend. Her name was Jane Marshevsky, and she died last Sunday. And she penned this March 2021. And I'm telling you, I've read it many times. It still gets me. But I wanted, I wanted you to hear the faith of a woman who was rooted in the precious promises of an eternal hope. She was rooted in the precious promise of a hope that would not disappoint. Did she have actual disappointment? Yes, but ultimately not. Ultimately, she was not disappointed. These are the words of Jane. I don't remember most of autumn because I lost my mind late in summer. And for a long time after that, I wasn't in my body. I was a light bulb buzzing somewhere far. After the doctor told me I was dying, and after the man I married said he didn't love me anymore, 
I chased a miracle in California and 16 weeks later, I got it. The cancer was gone. But when my brain caught up with it all, something broke. I later found out that all the tragedy at once had caused a physical head trauma and my brain was sending false signals of excruciating pain and panic. I spent three months propped against the wall. On nights that I could not sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide, where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I have had cancer three times now, and I have barely passed 30 There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, sometimes gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I have called him a cheat and a liar and meant it. I have told him I wanted to die and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale. I have laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They began to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means, what is it? That's the same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learned a new prayer. Thank you. 
It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but I will repeat it until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, call me blessed, call me sought after by God. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden from me or for me. Even on days when I'm not sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is in there even now. I have heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And that is true. If you can't see him, look lower for God is on the bathroom floor. That is the testimony of a person whose hope is rooted in the precious promise that even those who die will yet live in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? I, I, I feel, I feel reinvigorated that the, the, the fundamental lessons of my early Christian life where I parted ways with and I thought maybe that they weren't deep enough for me. I'm going back to now and realizing they are fountains of the sweetest, most delicious water. And there are things that we will never abandon, especially in this church. We will not abandon preaching this eternal hope in Christ because it is the very salvation of people in the world. Amen? I, I think... I think things have been really hard for a really long time and the church has been battered and bruised and there's been a lot of critique that we have needed to bear. There's been a lot of repentance. There's been a lot of changing of our minds that we have needed. But I am still convinced that the church of Jesus Christ has the answer for the world. We still have it, y'all. And we don't need to be prideful or arrogant. We don't need to connect it to our political party. But God's kingdom is still a kingdom worth preaching. His kingdom of peace is something that's still worth telling people about. Introducing people to the man Christ Jesus is still worthwhile. I don't care how messy the church is. I'm actually shocked that we're shocked that the church is messy. Like when did the expectation that all of us people on our way to Christian maturity were somehow supposed to be fully mature together? That's just not going to be the case. We are a people who are in process. And I, I just want to kind of give my life to the Lord again. You know, I don't, I'm not that I need to get saved again or baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost again. I mean, get filled with the Holy Ghost as many times as you can. I mean, do it all. But I, I, I have a great sense of relief working on the inside of me 
And I think it's because I've decided to, to die again. You know how, do you know how refreshing it is for a person when they just decide to surrender? There's such a relief that comes to a human being when they take their life and they say, well, God, I prefer my life to be this way, this way, and this way. But if you have another way, even though I don't understand your way yet, teach me to start walking in that way. Lord, invest in me your wisdom. Invest in me your grace so that I can have the power that I need to live out my days, however long they are. I, you know me, I'm, I'm planning on living to 125. I have a lot of things that I want to do with my life. But I want to live as much of that as I can with Jesus. And he is available to us. Isn't that right? Isn't that good news? Let's stand up together. Can I, can I get you worship crew up here? And when, when Robin, Robin's got this thing on him. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. Amy and I talk about it a lot, actually. Robin has this, um, I this is going to sound weird to some of you. This is from my old Pentecostal past, but I call it a breaker anointing. And, and, and it's, it's, you know, you know, in a, um, you know, in a, those, the, those icebreaker ships that go up to the Arctic and there's a sheet of glass or a sheet of ice and that ship runs through the ice and opens a path. When Ro Robin gets up at the end of worship and he just begins singing, I feel like, okay, now the worship service can start. Like we can, okay, Holy Spirit, I, I, I feel like you're wanting to pour out on us even more right now, but oh man, okay, we've got to get our timing right on this. <laughs> but when, when, when Robin was singing, I, I just, you know, sometimes we feel like broken records. But the truth is we don't have to reinvent the wheel every Sunday. We come together and we submit ourselves to the Lord and we say this, welcome Holy Spirit. So let's just, let's just close this service out today. We're going to worship a little bit. You guys got a song that you can start singing. But we want to we end the service today by welcoming the Holy Spirit again into our lives. You know, it's not a formula. It's just simple prayer, simple word. We want to welcome you again, Holy Spirit. We want to welcome you again, Holy Spirit. We want to welcome you again, Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.